The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. Previously on Carol's Last Christmas. I'm for sure his biological daughter. I mean, you could just see, you could see the resemblance. A surprise family connection to a man who may have been involved in Carol's murder. Isn't there something with my DNA that could help? Well, then you're going to look at the sketch and then you're going to be like, whoa. Does the timeline fit? But I'm sure that my brother was in Florida because he lived there most of the time. Mm -hmm. Do the pieces fit? I kind of think that she thought he'd done it, but they come down there and they was looking for him or something. And then, and I did see that picture and I was like, man, it really looks like him, you know? I mean, you could tell the kind of temper the guy had and the kind of lack of self-control. Would he be capable? Yes. Yes. And a podcast listener calls with a long-missing piece of the puzzle. He had it on the desk, and he told us that it was the railroad tie that killed um, a young female ISU student in 1975. From Genuine Human Productions, this is Carol's Last Christmas. Chapter 11. I'll take a polygraph today. We have chosen to omit names or use sound effects in this production because the individuals discussed have not been formally arrested, charged, or accused of wrongdoing in the death of Carol Rofstead. After investigating and interviewing for two years, surely listeners would help fill in some of the blanks that had us scratching our heads. I'm like nervous now. I'm nervous. Our listeners did not disappoint. I mean, there's a car here. Wonder if the doorbell doesn't work. A former ISU criminal justice major had shared the name of her professor, the man who at one time had the murder weapon in this case. Now, Allie and a new colleague, Nicole, were at his door. Does a Frank Morn live here? Yeah. Was he a professor at ISU? That's right. Yeah. I'm wondering if I, is he home? Yeah, he is. Could I speak to him maybe? And why do you want to speak to him? Um, so I have a podcast. It's called Carol's Last Christmas, and it's about the murder of Carol Rofstad. Mm. Um, and we were told through our investigation that he had the murder weapon in his classroom at one point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm wondering if... He knows anything about that. I'd love to ask him a few questions if he's uh, home. Yeah, I, I definitely have. Okay. His wife answered the door, and she had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. She was like, oh my gosh, an unsolved case? Like, what? The murder weapon? Oh my gosh, let me go get Frank. 
so she goes back there to get Frank, and he invites us in. We're sitting down. Please sit down. Hey. What can I do for you? It's very nice to meet you. My name is Allie. Allie. I'm a freelance journalist. Yeah. Hi, I'm Nicole. This is my friend Nicole. Sit, please. Thank you. Keeping in mind, I've been retired for uh -huh. over 12 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with um, the podcast, Carol's Last Christmas. No, I am not. Okay. Um, well, an article was published in the Panograph a couple weeks ago about the murder of Carol Rofstad in 1975. Hmm. And we've um, created a podcast and we've thoroughly investigated the case for two and a half years. I'm wondering if I could ask you a few questions about it. You can, but to be honest with you, I, I, it doesn't register in my memory. Really? I came about 10 years, apparently after this case. And I taught uh, until 2012. student who we spoke to said that she saw the murder weapon of Carol Rofstad. It was a piece of wood and huh. it was in the classroom when yes. they were teaching okay, there. Yeah. I don't recall that. I mean, I recall uh, I had several items Okay. that I had borrowed from a friend uh, in the police department to just use as uh, exhibits for a class. I, was, I think that section of the class was called physical evidence. And I do remember there was a piece of wood. I don't recall ever identifying it to the class uh -huh. as the murder weapon of the young woman, but I do remember okay. the wood. The wood. Was there blood on it? Yes. Our student has a different recollection. She remembers thinking, why would police let this go? Um, when I saw the blood stain still on it, you know, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it because, yeah, that was at the beginning of DNA. And I, I just didn't understand why as a cold case um, or even, you know, that they claim was still open. You know, here they are using, you know, floating evidence around that could have been preserved until technology caught up. Here we are in class learning about the chain of custody when it comes to collecting evidence, and this was an unsolved case. Who was the friend that gave it to you? I don't recall. He's long retired, but he, he was a normal police officer. He was a normal police officer. Uh, I, I had a lot of relationships because of the course with normal and uh, Bloomington police officers. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just one who might have been an investigator there uh -huh. that I struck up a conversation yeah. about how I was teaching this class and it'd be interesting if I, and it was strictly borrowed. You know, uh -huh. I mean, I like, I, I gave them all back to the, the same uh, person. Uh, I don't know if it was the same person, but to the normal police. Okay. And so if it still exists, it's in some sort of. So you returned it. You oh, don't yeah. have it anymore. Oh, no. Okay. Um, what no, it wouldn't be of... proper for me right, to keep right. it. Yeah. He had absolutely no knowledge that it was from an open case. He was always under the assumption that it was a closed case, and he never knew which cases they were. It was always these were used in previous homicide closed cases. What kinds of other items did you show in Oh, class? I had a machete. 
I had uh, a couple of uh, disabled firearms. Actually, there was even, you know, those long bars that you have for weightlifting weights. Yeah. Weights on you. Right. I had something like that. I mean, it was just a sundry things that mm -hmm. the officer said, these are all pieces of evidence we have had from past crimes. Did they mention if they were closed or open cases? No. They didn't say? Okay. No. I mean, we're talking now, what, 30 years? 47 years. Holy crap. Yeah. And it's well, from the crime, but I mean, from, when I had right. possession. Oh, but, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I, that, that case was never solved. Is that correct? No. And she was killed with a, with a beam a, of a wood? A piece of wood. She was hit over the head with what they call it a railroad tie, but... Oh, this was no railroad No, tie. there's no way it could have been a railroad tie. Those are huge, you know. This is more like a... Well, I don't want to say two by four. Right? <laughs> right. But it was bigger, slightly bigger than two by four. Was it jagged? Did it have... Do you no, recall? actually it was pretty squared off. Squared you know, off, like, kind of like a fireplace Like it log. had been out of a lumber yard or something. Right, okay. Did you ever ask your friend or any of the police officers if this was violating any sort of chain of custody thing to show them? No, I have just assumed that it the cases were closed. Right. And that. Yeah, so I, I never. I never. They never no, said I strictly about was that. concerned pedagogy. Just, you know, I just wanted to show students the wide variety of things that don't appear. Right. I mean, what made the the piece of lumber so interesting is that one would not think of it as a weapon. You know, you think of a gun or, you know, things right. of that nature. Right. I just wanted to illustrate that so many different common things could be used as yeah. a weapon. We don't know where the piece of wood is now. Well, I would think it's locked up in evidence, right? I would Somewhere. think in a normal place. Right. If it's an open case, it should be in, I don't know if the big enough normal police is big enough to have an evidence closet or evidence yeah. room. Yeah. But I would think it, an open case that would still be there. Right, right. Um, I mean, I'm almost positive it's got to be. Yeah, you would think. I mean, a, a murder, there's no statute of limitations. Right, ruined. right. Officials assure us that the blood-stained wood is back in police custody now, along with another rather morbid exhibit, the skull of a murdered young man that somehow made its way into public display. And it came, it came out that that had taken place along with the kid's skull. Right. And that the, the heat was on and they were told to return, they were told to return the, uh, the weapon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coming up, the power of publicity in social media. It's shaken up some local activists. It just seems like we really have an issue here in McLean County with cases not being solved, people being wrongly convicted, which means those cases still aren't solved, and a complete lack of transparency with our elected officials and the police department. And when our podcast hits the front page, 
we may have found a new witness. I, I would be glad to take a polygraph on everything I've told you, because I ain't lying about it. I didn't hit that girl. I seen it happen, he says. Presented with little or no interruption, Carol's Last Christmas has been an expensive endeavor. If you appreciate our work, please consider making a donation to help. Thanks for supporting Carol and our work. Visit patreon.com forward slash Carol's Last Christmas. There's no telling how many cold cases have been put to rest by deathbed confessions or the classic guilty conscience. When we first began talking to Carol's ISU friends, some had lost hope. When the murder weapon's been contaminated like that, it's compromised, that's when I knew it would never be solved. But others suspected somehow, somewhere, someone would come forward. Somebody, like the confession, tells somebody I got away with murder. The, the only other thing that may happen is, is that somebody saying, I just can't live with myself anymore. I've got to tell, tell you what he told me, and he got somebody coming forward like that. And I think there's a chance of that. Hello? Hello. On January 15th, 2023... Readers of the Sunday Panograph woke to a front-page picture of Carol Rofsted. Yes, I just read that article. I'd be glad to talk to anyone about it, because it's weight on me. Okay. Well, why don't we start from, from the beginning? How old are you? Were, you? were you an ISU student? Give me some background. There was one man who read about this podcast and felt he had to speak out. I do not like the police, especially the normal police. They are some rotten sons of bitches. So that's that's the main reason I never went forward with them. He got in touch with the paper, but said he only wanted to talk to us. There was hardly no uh, coverage on it after the initial killing. I mean, I can't say, well... Now see the right article come out. Maybe they'll put this girl's parents' names, and I can write them a letter or something. But none of that happened. Right. So I, and then I hated myself for setting up because of some of these crime programs on TV anymore. And you see where the parents just, <laughs> I mean, they waste away wanting to know who killed their child. It made me feel so bad. And I say I would I would talk to close friends about me. Well, I don't know what I would do in that case either, John. Every member of our team interviewed this man. We talked to him over the phone and in person. His story never wavered. I'd like to make this statement. Okay. I won't feel slighted uh, or mad at all if you say, John, we'd like to polygraph you on that. Because anything I say to you, I'm willing to polygraph it to you. I'm not going to lie about any of this. No, I've, I've lived with it too long. It started with a bad ice storm. The worst winter anyone can remember. There'll be another ice storm in Illinois. 
I'd say right now uh, probably uh, 250, 300,000 people that are totally without power. In Chicago, skyscrapers shedding ice and people ducking for cover. Look out, pal. It was a Sunday morning because I was home. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's Tom at my door. Oh, come in, Tom. What are you up to? Oh, nothing, man. I was in this neighborhood, so I started to stop in see you. I said, what do you think about all this ice storm we had, man? Feel right? Yeah. He just, he just, I said, well, my neighbor's house just across the street here, his uh, front door got kicked in, and somebody went in there and stole some shit. Really, he just, why don't we do that? That was, he did that. He's been, uh, he's been wilding lately. That's, I hadn't heard that term until years later. Mm -hmm. New York City, Central Park. I heard the term wilding again. I first heard it way back then. He continued talking about And he says, yeah. He says, you know that girl I asked you? I said, they got 10,000 of them. Well, he says, that one got killed. What about her, Tom? He's saying that. I said, ah. He did it. He did it. I was with him. I said, oh, what is this? And he says, uh, I said, how'd he kill her, Tom? Well, he says, I don't know. He says, he says, there's a limb or a club off the tree or a piece of wood. He says, I don't know what. He says, I know it wouldn't. And if I know beat her with it really bad. I said, how would you know that, Tom? I said, I was there. He said, I seen it happen. He said, I didn't help. I didn't hit that girl. But I seen it happen, he says. And uh, just went crazy on this girl, beating her with this. So I said, well, man, that's, that's really strange, eh? Yeah. He said, now don't tell nobody. I, why would I tell anybody, Tom? You know, actually, why would I? And uh, so he left. I actually didn't see him for a couple of years, so he was moved down to Florida. And I went down there a couple of times, him, me and another buddy, and moved to uh, Tennessee. I just thought, well, I'll just sit on this a while. They weren't friends of mine. Right. They were associates. Right. Never heard nothing else about it. And then first thing I know, uh, well, one of the articles came out and was uh, the normal police suspected a, a man, a local man who had checked into a mental hospital in Minnesota. And uh, anything I read then, uh, they're still working on that suspect from Minnesota, something. Uh, and I was up pool all there one there, and somebody said about that moved to Minnesota. And there's no way for me to check. No reason for me to check, actually. Mm -hmm. Other than just another human was murdered. Right. And that was another good reason not to go with goddamn cops. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to chase down to Florida and talk to Tom or Tennessee and talk to Not when John lives right here. Yeah. And I was not going to be that person. They bugged and dogged to death, trying to get a confession, you know? Now, come on, John, you just know too much about this crime. You know, I, I know how cops operate. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. going to put myself in that position. Yeah. 
He may have had nothing to do with Carol's death, but John did see Tom and through the years. One day, Tom called me, he says, uh, let's go down to Tennessee. So he starts talking about, he says, on this whole mountaintop. He says, got a nice place. He says, and it's going to be a, a 4th July celebration. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have nothing to do. I said, okay, I got a long weekend. Here. So we jumped in my car and we went down to Tennessee. He had about 100 different folks at this party. I what year was this? No, I just know it was the 4th of July because mm-hmm. I got a ticket coming back. I think it was the second day and I woke up. How many up days were you done Three, or two and a half. Mm-hmm. Everybody sat around at night, of course, partying, smoking dope, and what have you. It's cool. So I take a uh, Wake up the next morning at five o'clock and do that for years. That's what time you wake up, whether you're yeah. in Tennessee or normal. So I uh, woke up and seen him sitting up on this little hill. We sat there and talking about this and that. Now at this time, I don't know if, if Tom is told or not that he spilled his guts to me. I'm hoping he didn't, mm-hmm. you know. Because at this time, I know she's a killer. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there and pretty soon Johnny, he only called me Johnny for some reason. He said, I need you to do me a favor. I said, sure, man, what is it? He said, you see that great big cooler down there under that tree? It's a big Budweiser cooler, probably mm-hmm. 10 cases of beer at least. He said, I'm going to cut Tom up a little tiny pieces and put him in that cooler. He says, I need you to take him out of here when you go back. And do what with him? He didn't, he didn't, I guess, I guess he was just expecting, I know what I'd have done if I'd have been fool enough to do it. You know, I'd jump it along the goddamn highway somewhere. Mm -hmm. I took the cooler with me. I'd I'd put them remains out. I says, uh, I don't know. I said, let me think about that. He said, I really need you to do it for me. About that time, son, he had one son with his wife, his newest wife there. So he about 10, he comes down and says, uh, Dad, Mom, wants you have something wrong with the toilet? You know, this toilet was plugged up seven days from hell. Yeah. All these people. So he said, now you think about that, Johnny. I said, okay, well. Within 12 hours, me and Tom was in my car getting out of there. Now, I never told Tom, hey, Tom, I may have just saved your life. Right. You never told him that. No. Yeah. Why do you think he asked you that? I think he just wanted to get rid of the witness. And that was Tom. You know, there, there wasn't a gaggle of people out there watching him kill that little girl. Right. Just Tom. We 
that didn't linger around there for another three or four days, oh. let me tell you that. Is Tom still alive? Well, that's one of the reasons I decided to say something finally. Because I talked to another friend who knows Tom Lybow. And uh, he is, he is, your friend Tom won't be calling you from Florida in the middle of the night no more. I, what do you mean? He's, he just ate up with Alzheimer's, he said. My friend says, well, I went to see Tom. Anyway, he tried to visit him. He says he didn't know who I was. Over the course of this investigation, we've talked about three suspects. The disgraced student leader who knew too much. Whose wife reported her suspicions when he came home covered with blood. And who may have killed Carol and wanted his only witness dead. We decided to meet again as a team over breakfast to compare notes. I'm just going to say, we had the motive. We have somebody that says that we admitted having done it. And had blood all over him and lived 50 feet away. So, <laughs> where are we going with this? somebody that's willing to go that's willing to walk into a courtroom raise their right hand and say that confess to this that's that's hearsay evidence he said he said she said he said but let's go back to the state's attorneys I would go to her and say your office effed up by not granting immunity it's it's in the freaking police report he said, you grant me immunity and I'll tell you everything you need to know about this. Talk to him and say, this whole case is being reinvestigated. Grant him immunity. Throw this guy a bone and tell him that you'll turn it around and make him a good, a good freaking Samaritan. That after all these years that he, 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 he felt bad and he wanted to come clean. I've said this to you guys 50 times since we started this. With what we know about this thing, and it's more and more and more, in Cook County, Illinois, they would charge these people with murder circumstantially and then leave it up to a jury to believe if, if A leads to B and B leads to C and so on. That's, that's, that's why we're getting convictions today without even a body. You know, the preponderance of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt is that this guy had the motive. This is the connection between the three guys. They're 50 feet away. She knew that she was being watched. She had already been attacked. Circumstantially, it, this, this, this isn't a pipe dream theory that these are all connecting dots.
next time on Carol's Last Christmas. With all this new information, we're losing people, time, and memory. Well, that's one of the reasons I decided to say something finally. He just ate up with Alzheimer's, he said. What can be done? What should be done? If, if what they're trying to do is link the three of these characters together, all they have to do is follow the action in terms of what I just got through writing, and it's all in their face. And will police and prosecutors pick up the ball? The stonewalling you guys are getting by the normal police department. When they actually came out and said that they weren't going to help because it was an open case, I thought that was pretty... Um, pretty disrespectful in a sense that, well, if it's an open case, then why are you guys not investigating it? Last Christmas is a genuine human production reported from interviews with friends, family, and experts, and based on official records obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. Lead Investigator George Seibel, Chicago Police Department, retired. Investigator and co-producer, Alexandra Daskalopoulos. Investigator, writer, and narrator, Demetria Kaladimos. Voiceover recreation, Justin Holder. Audio mastering and consultation by Paul Gibson. Music provided rights-free by Artlist, Blue Dot Sessions, Motion Array, and Storyblocks. Original music by Verlin Thompson. Graphics by Orlando Rodriguez and Thalia Kaladimos. Website and promotional material, Thalia Kaladimos and Jim Champis. Our theme song is Criminal by Binge Heard, featuring Katrina Stone, courtesy of Artlist. Carol's Last Christmas is distributed by Radio Misfits. Our sincere thanks to the Reporters' Committee for Freedom of the Press for pre-publication review, and to those who knew and loved Carol and generously shared their stories.